Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. We are, uh, as a church, studying the book of Philippians. And uh, we, we chose to explore this book of the Bible together as a church because we're after some things. There's actually a reason that we're here in Philippians. There's actually a reason we're studying this book. And, um, and I, I've shared this before, but some of the themes... Um, and I'm not necessarily sure what you're contending for, but some of the themes that emerge um, in the book of Philippians are things that I want. I desire these things in my life, and I know that you do too. I, 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 some of you are aware of that, and some of you aren't. But some of the things that Paul talks about in the book of Philippians are things that I want personally, and I want corporately for our church. And that's why we're in here is we don't want to just talk about these things. We want to taste these things, experience these things, enjoy these things together. Some of those things, uh, you've heard me share this before, joy. I want more of it. I'm convinced there's more to be had. Unity. I want it. I want connection with others. Purpose in my life. Meaning, mission. I want these things. Less anxiety is one of the, anxiety is one of the things that we read about in Philippians. Contentment. I want it. I don't know about you. My, my guess is that in the last few weeks as we've talked about Philippians, maybe the Holy Spirit has highlighted something for you and you've said, that's it. That's what I'm going for. That's what I'm fighting for. That's what I'm contending for. That's what I need. An eternal perspective is something that Paul talks about. And understanding that our citizenship is in heaven. Being humble is something that we all need. I've said this before. If you're here and you have problems, pride is your problem. And the answer to your problem is humility. But I felt like it would be unfair to tell you that these things are available. And then talk to you about taking steps into some of these things that God's promised us without also telling you this morning that it's going to be a fight. We won't step into more joy in our lives and less anxiety. We won't step into unity with others and a sense of mission and purpose. We won't step into contentment and eternal perspective without fighting to take that new ground. It would be unfair to, to put that in front of you and have you think that achieving those things or stepping into those things is just going to be a walk in the park. The Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And in the passage that we're going to read today, Paul says to the Philippians, battle stations. Get ready to fight. And if you're serious about taking new ground in your life, if you're serious about the invitation that's put before us in the book of Philippians, I'm just telling you, you're going to have to fight for that. These things don't just happen. 
There's no fairy dust that's going to be sprinkled on you. I don't have any. I don't have a, a, you know, a, a hanky that will magically do anything for you. Some of these issues are character issues, and Jesus is not going to heal those character issues. Jesus never prayed for someone to stop lying. Some of, the, some of the healing that needs to go on is something you're going to have to participate in. We get to participate in. I should say we don't have to, we get to. We are here because we, we believe that Jesus is alive, that he is victorious over death. We believe that he's real. Um, we believe that he's working, that he's moving. And we also believe that we have an adversary We don't just believe in the reality of Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. We believe in the reality of Satan. And we believe that he has schemes to kill and destroy. And he has schemes that want to get in the way of God's plan to mold you and shape you. I want to read a couple passages here this morning. These are ones that you've heard before. First Peter 5, verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Another passage from John familiar one about our adversary. John 8, verse 44, says of the devil, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. You have... An adversary, you have an enemy, you have someone who stands opposed to the things of God in your life. I know that uh, often, uh, you know, and I'm not necessarily, I I think at times pastors are reluctant to share this with you because they're eager for you to sign up. And getting you to sign up for war is a little bit more difficult than getting you to sign up for a journey. So we describe the Christian walk as a journey. This is a journey, and it is. This is true. But it's not completely true, because what we think about when we think about a journey is what? Some guy on some nature walk at the Cahuilla Oaks Preserve. Mike's brought this up before. Like, why when you go to the Christian bookstore is everything, you know, every uh, scripture that's on a picture of some... Um, eagle soaring over, you know, some incredible landscape. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. You know, these are the images that we've, um, that we've come to connect with our spiritual walk. And yeah, it is a journey. And yeah, you are tending to a garden, but it is war. How many of you know, you see it, 
you see it going on outside of you, and then it's also going on inside of you. There is a struggle, there is a wrestle, there is a fight. This is not a nature walk. More joy in your life is not something you're going to find like an oak ball or an acorn. You have to contend for these things. And my encouragement, I, I, I think the thing that I wanted to communicate to you this morning, and I want to stir you up to fight. Because these things are worth fighting for. As I prepared... my spot. As I prepared for the sermon, how many of you have ever prepared for a conversation? You know what I'm saying? And it's preparing for a sermon is a lot like that. I'm up there in that office and I'm rehearsing what I'm going to say, you know? And uh, and there there was an intensity and a, and a boldness that came over me. I mean, I just wanted to scream, we are in a war. Y'all look nice. You look like you've got it under control. This is a dogfight. This, this, this Christian life is a war. And so I'm up in my room and I'm like, yeah, and then I'm going to tell him, ah, ah, you know. <laughs> How, how many of you have also prepared for a conversation with your boss like that? And then I'm going to tell him, man, you don't appreciate a thing I do around here. And if I don't get a weekend off, I'm out of here, you know? And then what happens when you actually meet with your boss? You're like, I was wondering if... And you could say no if you want. And I so appreciate my job here. But if I could get a, a, a week, maybe just Saturday, could I just get Saturday off, you know? It's not unlike that when you prepare for a sermon. It can be so easy to be bold when you're not here in front of a group of people. And then what I find is that sometimes I can get here and I can shrink back. And, and, and God has given me something to say this morning. And I want you to hear it because I think he's also asked me to share it in a certain way. I typically have notes, and I thought to myself, how ridiculous to go before a church with notes and tell them we're at war. You know, what if William Wallace, as he was standing before his troops, was like, hey, so the English, let me tell you about what the English have done. Or the coach at halftime was like, "Uh, that first half stunk. You know? And I thought, this is absurd. I can't go into this with notes. Who tells people we're at war with notes, you know? My second point is, we, <laughs> we are at war. Oh, man. A couple more passages about this fight. 2 Corinthians 10 reads, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, 
not worldly weapons to knock down the sorry not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments Turn with me now to Philippians. I need you to know that this morning. I need you to know. Don't be surprised when there's opposition in your life. Don't be surprised when there's attack or assault. This is a part of the Christian life. And I think for so many people, they don't know better and they get seriously discouraged when they face opposition. How many of you have ever seen a war movie? Nah. It it seems like in every war movie, there's always a rookie who shows up on the field and he's surprised by what's going on. Oh my gosh, you know, he's taken back by the assault, by the warfare that's going on, by how um, gruesome it is, how gnarly this combat is. And then there's always the rookie, and then there's always the war horse. There's always, there's the seasoned vet who knows what it's like on the battlefield and who's looking at the rookie like, what did you expect? No, that this is a fight. Come to expect, attack, assault. You have an adversary who's out to kill and destroy your life. Whoa, you know, (laughs) I didn't know it was going to be like this. They never talked about this at boot camp, you know. This is the reality of the Christian walk. Philippians, Paul writes this group and says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. If you don't have a Bible, it's actually on your bulletin. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Do not be intimidated in any way by your enemies, This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. There are some some essentials that Paul lines out here. If you're going to fight, you need to fight with these things. If you're going to be victorious, you're going to need these things. And the first essential thing that Paul maps out for the, Philippi- for the Philippines, for the Philippians, <laughs> is he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. Then, Whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. If you're going to fight, you have to fight with consistency. And Paul's saying to the Philippians, if you're going to fight, fight with consistency. Live lives, above all, like you're citizens of heaven. 
Paul uses language that the Philippians would understand. The Philippians were given Roman citizenship. They were very proud of their Roman citizenship. Many of them dressed like Romans. Philippi was laid out like a little Rome. Many of them spoke Latin because they were so proud of their citizenship. And Paul's saying to this group, your loyalty is with Christ. Your citizenship is in heaven. I know how proud you are of your Roman citizenship, but your loyalty, your allegiance is to lie with heaven and Christ and conduct yourself like you're a citizen of heaven. How many of you have ever traveled and you've not been excited about the way that American citizens are conducting themselves? Matt Sampietro and I went to Ireland together and we happened to be there on uh, St. Patrick's Day. And loads of people come over from the States for St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. And it's embarrassing. It really is, you know. We found ourselves in restaurants and, you know, there's some guy, hey, James, get a picture of this, you know, and he's got his mouth on the tap behind the counter, you know, and and you just want to say, we're not all like that. (laughs) We're not. This guy is not conducting himself like he's a citizen of the States. Or we've all, you know, maybe some of us have been to France and heard people tell you, hey, get some Canadian flags, patches, and put those on your bags. You, you'll be better received in France if you, if you pretend that you're Canadian. But we've all been in situations where, and we've all been those people that are not conducting themselves like they're citizens of heaven. When you're here on earth conducting yourself, conduct yourself like you're an ambassador from heaven. Like you're a representative from heaven. There's got to be consistency in your life. Paul says, look, I don't want to find out that who you are when I'm there is someone different than who you are when I'm gone. If you're going to war and if you're going to win, you're going to have to fight with consistency. I'm not saying you need to be perfect. I'm saying you need to be consistent and I'm saying you need to be constant. Paul's saying, hey, if you're somebody different when I'm there, whether I hear about it or whether I'm there, I want to find out that the same things are going on. If you're here and you're somebody different at church than you are at home, the enemy will take you out. You're probably even right now hiding in shame. There's fear that if the people here found out who you really are, they would reject you. The enemy is having his way with you. If there's inconsistencies in your life and you're somebody different at work than you are here at church, the enemy will take you out. He'll do it with he'll he'll cause you to hide. There'll be shame. There'll be fear, there'll be guilt. And you'll be taken out by the inconsistencies. If you're going to fight, fight with consistency. And above all, remember that you're an ambassador. You represent heaven here on earth. You're a citizen of heaven. Philippi, I love this. I love that Paul uses language that these people would understand. I love that he's using this thing of citizenship. I really feel like planting a church in Philippi would not be unlike planting a church on the Lamore Naval uh, Air Base. A bunch of ex-military, military men are retired in Philippi. 
And how many know when you pull on to the base at the Lemoore Naval Air Station, you better be careful what bumper stickers are on your car. And you better be careful what you say about our country and about our flag. Because there's, there's an intense loyalty. And this was the setting in Philippi. This was the setting that Paul planted a church in. And this is why the church in Philippi is facing persecution. is because they're saying things about heaven that are only said about the empire. And they're saying things about Jesus Christ that are only said about Caesar. And they're in trouble because Paul's essentially saying our allegiance is to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So when he talks about fighting, you better understand that those Philippians understood what he was talking about. When he says, I need you to strive together, I need you to fight together, this was language that they understood. When he talked about citizenship, this is something that they understood. I love that about Paul. He says, I need to know that you're standing side by side, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. If you're going to fight and if you're going to win, you're going to have to cooperate. For some of you, the enemy has caused serious problems in your life because you're unable to do this. The word used here is actually that you would strive together as athletes, that you would work together, that you would cooperate, that you would fight as one, that you would fight this battle together. And if you're here and and, and you're isolated, you don't have people that you're with, that you're walking this Christian life out with, you're going to get picked off. The enemy is going to cause serious problems in your life because of it. If we understand him to kind of roam about like a, like a lion, of course he's looking not for those animals that are at the center of the pack, but the, one, the scragglers that are alone behind the pack. I want to call you. If you're going to fight, you need to fight cooperating with others. You need to fight in community. If you're here and you're isolated and you don't have Christian friends that you're doing life with, you're going to get picked off. If you're going to fight, you have to cooperate. You have to strive together. We strive in so many other areas of our life. How come we're so, um, how come we're unwilling to do it in our spiritual life? You're striving in so many different areas of your life. How come we're unwilling to push like that in our spiritual lives? There's a group of guys here in the church that are waking up three mornings a week, I think. I don't know. I'm not a part of it. But they're training together for this Tough mutters race, which is like, um, I don't know. I don't know what it's like, but it's quite the race. And it's incredible the way that they're pushing each other. Not one of those guys would be doing this alone. They wouldn't have the strength to wake up. They wouldn't have the strength to push through. But the fact that they're doing it together, encouraging one another keeping each other accountable, calling each other when someone doesn't show up for the week. They're striving together as athletes. Let's strive together as a church. Let's work together as a church. Your war, your fight is not with the people that you're sitting next to. 
This isn't a fight with flesh and blood. There's something bigger going on. Let's cooperate. Let's work together. Then he goes on to say, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. If you're going to fight, you have to fight with consistency. If you're going to fight, you have to cooperate. You have to strive together with others. You can't do this alone. You can't win this alone. And if you're going to fight, Paul says, fight with confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't be intimidated, he says. Let me talk to you about a couple things that I, that I believe steal your confidence. Where we no longer go into battle confident that victory is the Lord's, but we shrink back. The first is this, and Paul mentions it in a really deliberate way in this passage. Some of you are suffering. And there's nothing quite like suffering to assault your faith. And it's not necessarily the suffering itself, but it's the questions that you ask when you're suffering that isolate you. Paul's saying, I'm in the midst of suffering. I'm not even on the other side right now. And I'm not throwing away my confidence. Some of you have thrown away your confidence because you're suffering with long-term illness. You've been sick for a long time and slowly but surely over time, it's just completely destroyed your faith. Some of you have suffered through a divorce and it's completely destroyed your faith. Some of you have suffered through the loss of a loved one and it's destroyed your faith. There's no fight left in you. Some of you have been betrayed and you've suffered that way. Some of you have been just mocked and verbally harassed and it's chipped away at your confidence and it's assaulted your faith. And Paul says a couple things to these people. If you're here and you're like, yeah, this is the truth. I don't feel very confident because of what I've suffered through. The suffering hasn't boosted my confidence. It's destroyed it. The suffering hasn't resulted in greater faith. It's destroyed my faith. It's been a long road. Some of you have been warring and fighting for your marriages and you've just given up. Because it's been quite some time and you haven't seen the results or the progress that you hoped you would. And Paul always tells people who are going through suffering, I love this. You're not alone. We're in this together. When you suffer, I suffer. When I suffer, you suffer. Remember that brothers and sisters everywhere are going through exactly what you're going through. Because when you're struggling with something like this, it can be really isolating. You can withdraw in relationship with others. 
And Paul reminds them that, hey, if you're suffering, we're suffering together. And look, I'm not even saying this as somebody who's on the other side. Paul says, I'm still in the midst of suffering. And for some of you, your confidence, you've thrown your confidence away because you've suffered. And you've been intimidated. And you've been scared. And I'm going to call you today to again fight and contend. But let me tell you how else the enemy, how else he intimidates And how he destroys our faith and steals our confidence is he harasses and he verbally mocks people. And every one of us has to fight through this. I've heard this. You've heard this. And it is the consistent pattern in scripture that any time the kingdom of God is going to seriously advance, the children of God have to move through a barrage of mockery. Some of you have taken a stand at the beginning of this sermon series when I said to you there's joy to be had. There's unity to be had. There's connection with others to be had. You can be free from anxiety. And part of you is like, yes, I want that. And immediately, a barrage of mockery. Oh, right, and this time's going to be different than last time. Oh, right, like last time you tried to get off the antidepressants. Oh, right, like last time you threw away your, your secular CDs. Oh, right, you're going to give yourself to this. Every one of us has to fight through it, and the people of God have always had to fight through this. Don't turn there, but I'm going to read a story out of uh, 1 Samuel 14. The people of God in this time are in a situation not unlike the situation we're in right now. They're surrounded. They're completely overwhelmed by their enemies. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to fight. And so they're just sitting back. And Jonathan, who is actually the king's son, decides, I'm sick of sitting here. I'm going to fight. I'm sick of sitting back and waiting I'm going to fight. And he grabs his armor bearer, and his armor bearer actually says, well, you, you do what's in your heart. I'm going with you. And so the two of them take off, and they go to pick a fight against an army that was thousands. There were thousands of enemy armies camped around the people of God. Verse 11 says, when the Philistines saw them, they shouted, look. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here and we will teach you a lesson. Come on, says Jonathan, climb right behind me, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. Wait, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men at all, and their bodies were scattered over about a half acre. Here they are, they've they've taken a stand, and they're saying, I'm going to fight. And they actually start crawling up a hill on their hands and knees, which is not a position of strength. It's a position of inferiority. And they're being mocked by the Philistines. Oh yeah, come on up here. 
and will teach you a lesson. Every time the kingdom of God is about to significantly advance, you will face verbal mockery and harassment from your adversary. The committee inside your mind will start talking. Every time you take a stand and say, I'm going to take this half acre. I'm going to take this half acre that God's put before me. Here come the voices. Right. Yeah. And I don't know what they're saying to you. I don't know if they're reminding you that your kids have walked away from God. I don't know if they're reminding you of the divorce that you went through. I don't know if they're reminding you of the state of your marriage. But the goal of these voices that continually harass you, that we have to work through, fight through, is to get your eyes on yourself and to get your eyes off of what Jesus Christ has done. They're always going to be bringing up what you've done. The gospel, the good news, our faith is in what Jesus Christ has done. This has gone on seriously for me. Honestly, I deal with this on a weekly basis. I'll start visioning. I'll start dreaming. I'll start desiring things for our church. And instantly I start to hear voices that are saying to me things like this. Oh, right, because you went to seminary. They're so strong that they say to me things like, fold the church now because it's inevitably going down. On what grounds will you do that? Oh, right. How will that come about? And you'll do that when? Do these voices sound familiar to anybody sitting here? Some of you walked into church this morning and you're being harassed as you worship. You? Really now you're going to be a Christian? Oh, right. After what went on last night, you're going to come in here and sing. Some of you are being harassed. And God is calling you, like Jonathan, to take a half acre. And I just want to ask you, what is the half acre worth fighting for? What is it that God set in front of you? We know if you go on and read this story... That when they took that half acre, when they killed those 20 men, the whole army shook and fled. The Lord sent an earthquake and they actually turned on each other, started to beat each other down. And not only that, but those traitors, those that had left the armies of God and were now a part of the Philistine army, came back to the armies of God. You taking this half acre in your life, you contending and fighting for the land that God's put in front of you or the promises that he's spoken to you is significant. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. I'm sure it would have been easy for Jonathan and the armor bearer to go, man, even if we do take this half acre, there's thousands of enemies there. What difference will it make even if we take this ground? But they didn't bow to that voice either. They moved right through that mockery. Hannah, at the very beginning of Samuel, let let me explain this to you. This goes on every time. What about the 120 who started the church? Who stood up that day and the crowd is saying, they're they're drunk. 
They're mocking them as, as though they're drunk. What about Hannah, who's barren? And she has an adversary who's reminding her constantly of her barrenness. She comes consistently to the temple to pray. This is just 14 chapters earlier in the book of Samuel. She's coming constantly to pray. And she has an adversary that's saying, wow, a lot of good those prayers are doing. Yeah, keep praying. Some of you are barren and you're being harassed. And not only that, but you're, you're starting to question God because that's the goal of this harassment and mockery. about David as he stands before Goliath. Even Jesus had to take the half acre before he took on the sins of the world on the cross. If you remember, it's the beginning of his ministry and he gets led out into the wilderness. And there he has a showdown with Satan himself. And there's mockery and there's harassment It doesn't start at the cross. It starts in the wilderness when Jesus steps out and the enemy comes to him and he starts to question the faithfulness of God. He starts to question the promises of God and he starts to question the purposes of God. Oh, do you really think he'll tend to you? Oh, do you really think he'll care for you? Right, you're the son of God and you're hungry. And it was Jesus who took a half acre and fought through the verbal mockery in order to get to the cross. And what we're up to here as a church is not about you. It's about what he's done, what he's accomplished for us. And some of you are being harassed. And it might be around any number of things. You might hear, and you're here and you're single and you've been praying for a husband or a wife. And like Hannah, your adversary is mocking you. Well, a lot of good those prayers are doing. I'm sure God will send something your way. Peranto. You're being harassed here this morning because you're not qualified. My call to you this morning is that we would fight. That you would fight through the mockery. Not in your own efforts, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. That you would take the half acre that God's set before you. So many things happened when they took this half acre. The first was that when somebody stands up to fight, there's always someone who's going to follow you. And when Jonathan took a stand and said, I'm not going to sit back, I'm going to fight. There's always someone who's going to pick up and come with you. There's always someone that's going to follow you. I want to make a call this morning. I'm going to ask you to be bold. But you're here and, and you're, you're literally, you know what I'm talking about. When I talk about being harassed or mocked or verbally assaulted, you're, you, you can't seem to step into what God's put before you because you're constantly being harassed. 
Your weaknesses are constantly being brought to the forefront. You're unable to step into what God's put before you because you're being mocked. Listen, this is the pattern all throughout Scripture. This is something we must fight through. Something we war through. Something that we step through with consistency. Cooperating with one another. Sharing. Striving together. And we don't lose our confidence. Thank God that Hannah didn't lose her confidence as she was being mocked. And being told that her prayers weren't reaching God. She stood in there and she fought in prayer for that half acre that was in front of her. And of course we know that Hannah was given a son. And he was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. Thank God that Jesus fought through the mockery. Didn't give in to the enemy's schemes. And he pressed through the harassment. But some of you this morning, you want to fight. You're sitting in your seats and it's like, I want to go for it. And it's like you're being plagued with doubt. You're being harassed. You're being mocked. You're being reminded of your past, your failures, your inabilities, your weakness. And I actually want to end our time by worshiping together and praying for those here today. You're being verbally harassed. I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit would expose the enemy's schemes. That his schemes would be revealed for what they are. If you're here this morning and you're just saying like, yeah, I I want to fight. I can tell that I've thrown away my confidence. I can tell that I'm not fighting with consistency. I can tell that I've been intimidated and I've given in. I can tell that my suffering has assaulted my faith, hasn't caused my faith to flourish. It's just destroyed it. I just want to ask you to come. Would you come? Would you take a stand and step forward this morning? You're here and you're saying, like, I just, I want to fight. I want to take the half acre that the Lord's put in front of me. tired of being harassed, would you come? Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea and all the beautiful things here in life. And I